Thank you, honey. You're welcome. All right. So for those of you who have not met, I'm Pastor Josh. I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, this is Wednesday Night Bible Study, um, where we dive into God's Word, kind of one verse at a time. So we are in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, and we're going to be covering verses 31 to 37. So if you've got a handout on your way in, uh, on the, if you want to call it the front side, there are a handful of questions. Uh, those are the four same questions we've been working through all semester. What does this passage tell me about God? What does this passage tell me about humanity? What does this passage tell about the inward change that has to happen inside me? And what change do I need to live out in the world? Beneath that, you'll see all the scripture references. So if you don't catch one that I spit out, it's written there for you. Um, and then on the back side is the scripture we're reading. So that way, you, if you didn't bring a Bible or uh, for whatever reason, you can follow along. I don't want anyone to get lost. Um, so just let's, let's go. All right. So Matthew chapter 5. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, whoever, everyone who divorces his wife, accepts, except on the grounds for sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33, again, you have heard it said, uh, from those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of God, or by Jerusalem, or by its cities, for its great king. And do not take an oath by your head, from which you cannot make one hair white or black. And then simply put, it says, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. The word of the Lord. So here we go. So as Amanda got into this, um, I really do want to approach this next couple verses with deep uh, uh, sensitivity. I, as a child, as my wife just said, as a child of divorce. Now, I was 35 when my parents got divorced, and it hurt. It hurt to the fact that I didn't speak to my father for 18 months. It, it hurt that bad. And now I would say that our relationship is amicable at best. Her parents got divorced several years prior, and it and I didn't talk to him for three years. There was a lot more layers to it, but... It hurts. It, it hurts the children. My children were uh, young adolescents. It affected my family. And, and I think as just as I preload this, I, I would, looking around the room, I know many of you in here, and, and I know that some of you have gone through divorces yourself. And, and there is a pain, and maybe you were the one who initiated it, maybe you had a fault in it. Maybe you were the victim of it. I, I don't know, and, and I'm not trying to point on one person or the other. I just wanted to get to the biblical truth about marriage, God's view of divorce, and actually the higher level, not just the physical, which we experience here, but the supernatural level in which God views marriage and divorce. And so I, give me, if I cry, 
I'm ugly when I cry, so I apologize. So I might because it's, it's tender on my heart. Okay? So let's begin. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, if you want to turn back to the Old Testament to me, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the last book of the Torah. It's, there is uh, chapter 24, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Verse uh, 1 through 4, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if he then finds no favor in his eyes, if she finds no favor in his eyes, because she has, he has found some indecency, and that's the key word in this passage, in her, he writes a, her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of the house. And if she goes and becomes the man... Uh, become another man's wife and later hates hit, um, later the latter man hates her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts her out it, uh, of her hands and sends her out of the house or in later man dies who who take who took her to be his wife then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled for this is an abomination before the Lord and so you will bring the sin upon the land, and the Lord your God has given you an inheritance. Some heavy stuff in there. Uh, but ultimately, nowadays, if, if you've gone through a divorce, or you know someone who's gone through a divorce, you understand alimony and child support. Yes? Those are familiar words to us. We're, 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 we, don't, we may not like them, but they're real. And so there was no such thing... In, in, in this time, day and age, and even to when Jesus is speaking, uh, if a man marries a woman, everything that he has is his household, not hers. So if they were to get divorced and she was put out of the house, the children, any income, any everything else belonged to the man and not her. So what would that make her if she had no family? Or had no relatives to go to would make her homeless which would oftentimes lead to prostitution because she had to make a living right and, and so this is what God sees this is the, the culture he's speaking into he's trying to change the way people acted about marriage because there were a lot of people who would just get married because she burnt the meal or she didn't iron his dress shirt right, or didn't sweep the floor just the way he liked it. There was a lot of very, very, very petty reasons that people would get divorced. And there is a, that higher level in which we see here, and that's why I pointed out that word indecency. Right? Indecency would have been a woman who would have been unchaste, so a woman who would have been finding relations with another man, so committing adultery, or practicing idolatry, or some variation thereof, which means pagan worship, or witchcraft, or divination, etc. But, but not just because he didn't like the way she cooked, but that was what had become the practice. And so very, and, and even if, there's a couple other passages, and I didn't write them down, but you'll, you can find them as Jesus talks. But if you flip to Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, it's a bit of a page turner today, so just everyone get their fingers exercised today. Matthew chapter 19, 
starting at verse 1. This is now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a large crowd followed him and they, he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up and tested him. Right. So they're trying to get him to say something wrong. Asking him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You see it? Any cause. Can I, can I just, I, I don't like her today. I don't like the way she does her hair. I, I, I want to find someone new. And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So that's God's, Jesus' declaration of human gender, just to put that there. And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no not one let, let not man separate. It, it, it's when when I speak to youth or young adults, very often we talk about the element of sex, and we're going to get there in a second. So hold on to your horses. But if you imagine taking a really strong tape, like good duct tape or gorilla tape or something like that, and you go stick it to a cardboard box and leave it there for a day or two, and then you go and pull it off. A good chunk of that box is coming with that tape, yes? Okay. That is the best imagery I got for a man and wife being torn apart through divorce. No one leaves unscathed. It was never intended to be so. Now, there are reasons we get divorced. There are true justifications for it, adultery being one of them. Um... You know, when, when someone in the relationship decides to be unfaithful, that they decide that the, bound, the covenant they made before God is no longer acceptable or they can do, find it better, whatever, and they leave, you, you are not bound by sin, no less you're not committed to not marrying again. It, do you hear that? It, so if you are a victim of a divorce, if you have... Your spouse cheated on you and left you and abandoned you, and you are now divorced and you are seeking to be remarried by God's grace, you are covered. Okay? Now, if you are the perpetrator on the other side, that where you have messed up and you have sinned and you went outside the confines of marriage and you committed adultery or you did some other things that were the cause of the divorce, there's hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I didn't, it's not in your references. You can write it down. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And this is what we believe. And this is what we teach as a church, is that there is forgiveness for sin. It's not what God wants. It's not God's best. So for a moment... I'm going to take a slight tangent and let's talk about marriage. Let's dive in a little bit of God's design for marriage. So, page turner again, all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. So if you just close your Bible and kind of flip a few pages, you probably get there faster than trying to thumb all the way through. I'm trying to bring a little bit of humor because I know this is sensitive. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, 28. So God created man in his image. 
And in his image, in the image God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so marriage is not just about procreation. Procreation is a fun part of marriage. I love my kids. I love the way we make kids. But that's not it. The, 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 the hope of marriage is to have a purpose. There, there is something that God intended for man and woman to do together, and it was to be over the earth, to work the land. God made Adam and placed him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Genesis 2.15. And so there's a purpose to marriage that together you accomplish something. And you accomplish something good. And my evidence of that comes all the way back in Matthew chapter 5. Hold your page turner. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. Or if you just want to listen, you don't have to turn on the pages. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Genesis. See, that's the good works that we're each called to as Christians. I got a noisy front table. That we are called to good works. In Christ, we are called to let our light shine before others so that they can see our good works. So as married people, we are called to good works as husband and wife. So how do we do this? There's a little bitty prophet named Amos you don't know where he's located he's somewhere between genesis and revelation but he's in the old testament the little book of amos and like even right now oh, there he is just hear me amos 3 3 says can two do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet do you hear that can two walk together unless they've agreed to meet so if, if one of us were, if my wife and I were to go on a trip and I were to go to Orlando and she were to go to Miami, are we going on the trip together? No. Okay. If, I, if we were both to be going to Orlando, she was going in the morning, I was going in the evening, would we be going on the trip together? No, not really. Kind of, because our destination would be similar, but the journey there would be different. But to journey together would mean we would hop in the same car, travel at the same speed to get to Orlando together. Yes? This is God's intent for marriage. God intends that as husband and wife, we come together for a common good work. That we do it together. That we learn to walk in a way together. Now, each of us will grow spiritually at different times, some of us will accelerate, some of us will lag, some of us will doubt, some of us will experience different things. My wife and I both have master's degrees. She got hers four years before I got mine. You know, but there was elements of through our lives that the common goal of what we, when we were young adults, when we decided to get married, there was so much alignment that it has allowed our lives to f flourish now later on in life. And that's what my encouragement to, for those of you who are single and you want to get married, if you're looking for a mate, do your life goals, do your values and do your beliefs align. And if they don't, don't marry that person. 
If you are married, I now challenge you right now to make sure that your beliefs, your values, and your goals align. Your beliefs should align 95%. My wife and I do not agree on everything theologically. I know, surprise. But the majority does. Do our values agree? Yes, a majority of our values agree. Now we, for example, both approach the Second Amendment differently. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but there's elements of us that do not fully align, but we support one another. And then our goals are aligned. They're not 100%. You know, my wife loves to run. I think I only run to the, to the refrigerator. This is, you know, th that's just the way we operate. There are things in which we are different, and that's okay. She's a woman. I'm a man. It's, she's, you know, got a black belt in Taekwondo. I've got a dozen, I've got a camo belt, you know? But you see where I'm going with this for the, the intent of marriage? Because ultimately God wants his kingdom advanced. God wants to take this world that is so dark and so hurting by you loving Christians to let your light shine into a world that needs Jesus. That through your marriage you can be light into the darkness. I'm 100% convinced because of where what the Apostle Paul tells us. And if you'd like to turn there. Let's start at Romans. Nope. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 16. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality, um, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Dear Christian, you don't own you. God does. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You, were, you are not your own. You, for you were bought with a price. And that price was Jesus' life. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die for your sins, to pay for your ransom so that you could live a more righteous life, a glorious life, and a life that honors him in every way. Will you get it always right? No. Perfect example, exhibit A, of not getting it right all the time. However, through Christ, with the Holy Spirit inside of us, we have the ability to live different. Turn a couple of pages over to Ephesians chapter 5. For anyone who's ever read, uh, been to a marriage group or anything else, you're probably going to find this section of Scripture very familiar. 33 being the particular one, but I'm going to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. 
Ephesians 5, 31, 32. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You see the running theme here? This mystery is profound. Why, Paul, is this so profound? And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So holy matrimony, my marriage to my wife, is not about us. It's about Christ's love for his church. So the way we treat our spouse, for everyone married in this room and soon to be married in this room, the way you treat your spouse is a reflection of the way you treat Jesus. Okay. So Jesus loves us unconditionally. He gave his life for us, died for us, bathed us in the world, made us pure. So husbands, and soon-to-be husbands, love your wives full of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love them full of the Holy Spirit. Lay your lives down for them. Serve them with gratitude and humility. Protect them. There's not a man in this... Okay. For everyone who is married or in a relationship, raise your hand real quick. And everyone who wants to be in a relationship, raise your hand. No, keep... uh, All right. I was trying to get everyone's hands up. All right. Anyways, you can put your hands down. Okay. Men, if a gunman came through that door, who's protecting whom? I'm protecting her. Correct. Not a woman have I, I've asked that question a couple hundred times, and not a woman has ever said, I'm doing it. So if I die protecting my wife, I'm expecting my wife to kill him. That's my logic in my head. But it's my job to defend her. And I've never met a man who says that it's her job to defend me. The, the, so in that way, you see where I get... In the same way, men, protect your wives spiritually. You do not have to be a biblical theologian. You do not have to have your MDiv or your doctorate. You do not have to be a pastor. You just need to be the shepherd of your home. You just have to have that willing spirit to be able to open your Bible and say, Dear God, I'm lost. And then ask for guidance. Women, I love you. Be patient with your husbands as they lead your home. Be patient, be kind, be tender. Encourage them because this is the one thing that we are, we are encouraged to do it. I, I believe the church really tries. Grace Family Church, we have a great couples ministry. If you know them, you understand that we are really trying to encourage spiritual growth in the home. But to be honest, men, we put our, a standard on us that we may not be able to attain and then we get frustrated, and then we quit. And then, then the wife, who tend to be more spiritually sensitive, take up the mantle and lead, and we go, eh, I'm good. Stop. Men, lead your wife in prayer. Pray over her. Hold her hand. You do not have to be William Shakespeare of prayer. Just be you. Just pray as you talk, but be sincere. Because this is what Christ has done for us. I, there, there, this is, 
I love how Paul puts it in that way because our marriage is nothing. It, 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 mm. it is so much more because of what, how God views marriage and his love for us. So therefore, men, love your wives. And therefore, this is why it breaks God's heart when we get divorced. This is honestly why God hates idolatry. You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And, you shall. and then the second commandment is thou shall not have any idols. It is often, if anyone's read the Old Testament recently, look at the language the prophets refer to the nation of Israel. They call them an adulterous generation. Why? Because their hearts had gone after someone else. And that something else was idols. It broke the covenant that God had with his people Israel. He was going to bless them, lead them, guide them, make them fruitful and powerful. But when they started chasing after the things of this world, what happened? They fell apart. Their lives crumbled. Their lands went dry. Their livestock died. Their crops withered because they lost their first love. If you really want to read it real strong, and I'm not reading it because I can't, I, it's too strong for me to read out loud. Look up Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Jesus, Jeremiah's, prophet Jeremiah's words, a lot stronger than my words, and I'm, I'm not that bold. But when you look it up and you read it, you tell me how God views an adulterous heart of the nation of Israel. I do believe in healing after divorce. I believe God gives mercy and grace. There are legitimate reasons for divorce. Adultery, abuse, abandonment. There are real reasons that people should separate and potentially get divorced. Especially if someone, the spouse, the offending spouse is unrepentant. And not willing to change. Right? That, that, to be honest, was my parents' case. My dad didn't see what he did was wrong. And we're working on that, praying through it. Everyone who's been divorced needs to heal after their divorce because that luggage and that baggage you will take into your next relationship. We have a great group called Divorce Care. It meets on the Van Dyke campus. If you've gone through it or need healing from it, I'll get you connected. And then there is hope in second marriages there is hope for something else but unfortunately there, there is still things there's elements like blended families that can make that second family hard and you need jesus and if you don't have jesus it just gets harder so jesus better be the center of your marriage and in your life before or as you move into the second relationship okay I love you. I encourage you. If you need to talk to me afterwards, come find me. Okay? Real quick on oaths. Deep breath, everyone. Everyone, in, deep breath in. And exhale. Okay. I found it interesting. Real quick note. Overview. Jesus went from anger to reconciliation, reconciliation to lust, lust to divorce, and now he's talking about oaths. 
I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think Paul or Matthew, as he wrote this, was, I'm going to be very clever and just kind of throw things out. No, Jesus said this because lust leads to adultery, adultery leads to divorce. And therefore, the next thing is taking oath. Your yes was no longer a yes. The moment you committed adultery, your yes was now a no. There was a very high stake, and, and I'm sorry I can't remember it, and I didn't put the reference down. If I find it, I'll shoot it out in an email. But there, it is in either Exodus or Leviticus about a vow. And if, if a person commits a vow, they are sworn to, and if, it's, and if it's heard, like if there's witnesses, it has to go through. There is a story, I believe it happens in 2 Kings, of a man who was trying, wanted to defeat an enemy. And he says, Lord, if we have victory over this enemy, the first thing that comes out of the door of my house, I will kill and sacrifice to you. They go to war, they win, they come back, and the first person out of that house is his daughter. And he had to fulfill the vow. God takes vows really seriously. So if you're going to say you're going to do something, do it. So as my wife and I, we actually say it from James. James says, James is Jesus' brother, and he says it, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. So we'll run around the house. So if I say I'm going to do something more times me than her, and she says, James 5, James 5. That means when I said I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And that it should be simply put, there's nothing in which you need to swear on in order to prove that you're going to do anything. And so I, I do want to take a moment to differentiate the difference between cursing, swearing, and profanity. Cursing is the concept of condemning someone or something to hell. And the only one who has power to do so is God. He is judge. He can condemn. None of us need to go to hell anything. That's, don't remove that from your vocabulary. Swearing is taking a pledge based on something that most likely isn't yours. I swear on the Bible. I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on my left ankle, whatever thing you want to come up with. But in, in these days, people were trying to prove that they were serious and they would swear by the temple or the, the gold in the temple or whatever value. And Jesus is like, y'all are nuts. Just stop. And he says, ultimately, what he's saying, as he says in verse 34 and 35, is it's not yours. The heavens is God, the earth is its footstool, and everything else belongs to the king. And that's why it's at a capital K, because it's Jesus's. So you don't have a foot to stand on to swear by anything other than your own word. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, I'm not going to read it, but I'm just referencing it. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, it says, when God made a covenant with Abraham that he would be the blessing and from him would come a blessing in the land of Israel. He said he had nothing greater to swear by than himself. So when we make a promise to do something, do it. Dear Christians, we live in an age in which the world does not like us anymore. We are not men of our words or women of our words anymore. We, we have a bad reputation. Christian business was a good thing, but now it's not. Because Christians are lazy, Christians don't do a good job, Christians don't work with excellence, because we are no longer people of our word. We have to change that. So let your yes be yes, 
and you know be no. And shortly, profanity. Profanity is that strong words we used in a very tough situation. And as I said a couple weeks ago, if we were all be barefoot and walked out this door and clipped our pinky toe on the wall, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if something other than something like ouch comes out, I pray that you check your heart. Lastly, it's, it's your character and reputation that's on the line. And, and that's what the world's looking at. If God has called us to let our light shine before the world for, by doing good works so that he is glorified, your word and your deed are very often connected. One of my favorite Bible verses, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do or say, or whatever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So I pray right now, and we're going to pray in a second, but I, I do sincerely hope that if you have gone through it or walking through a divorce or uh, been a, a victim of one, or a child or, or, or sibling or whatever, that you get help. We as a church are here to help you. There's healing, there's hope afterwards, and, and we're here to support you, not condemn you. We're not here to wag our finger at you. But we all have to see how God views divorce and how God views marriage. So we take it very seriously, and we do it in love. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's healing, that your, your word is a balm to our souls, that it, it, it heals our wounds. It binds us in a way that we can be restored. We thank you for your grace, that you are faithful and just to forgive us. I pray for all my brothers and sisters in this room, Lord, that, that they will be healed from any hurt in a relationship. Uh, Lord, if they've gone through a divorce, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you bring comfort and peace to their minds, that there will be no more condemnation in the name of Jesus. Lord, and for all my brothers and sisters who are married or about to be married, Lord, I pray Jesus is at the middle. Lord, that they fix their eyes to heaven. Lord, that they long to be with you in your word, in prayer. Lord, that their lives and their words and their attitudes will be a reflection of the Christ within, for they are no longer their own, but they were bought for a price. Thank you for this time, and I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.